sharing insight on leadership, professional growth, and personal effectiveness from world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and respected experts. This is Great Life, Great Career, brought to you by Franklin Covey. Now your host, Scott Miller. Welcome, everybody. Today's topic is all things sales. Could not be more excited about the practicality of today's conversation with our guest, Paul Walker, who serves as Franklin Covey's president of all of our sales worldwide. Been in the firm for, I think, just shy of 20 years, has a wealth of knowledge from his entire sales career, from a frontline salesperson up to sales manager, sales leader, sales president, now leading the sales organization for anybody in your life that is considering a sales position This is a great conversation to listen to, download, and share with anybody in your organization, in your extended family, in your network. You know, we're all officially in a sales role, right? Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you're in marketing or operations or customer service, mom, dad, stay at home, you ever, you're actually in a kind of persuasion influence role. So some of the ideas that I think our guests today will share will resonate regardless of what role you're in. Each week we follow, as you know, a similar format. My name is Scott Miller. I serve as your host each week. The program is sponsored by the Franklin Covey Company, who you know by now I have been a privileged member to work with for, gosh, just shy of 23 years. Started myself as a frontline salesperson, and now here I am, radio star. Who knew? So today's conversation is going to be focused on what are some of the tips we can learn about how to be a better sales partner? You know, I don't know if you know, but there's quite a few universities now that actually offer sales degrees. You actually can get a degree now in sales. I don't know about you, but how many of us ever actually go into our careers thinking we're going to be a salesperson? I certainly didn't. I kind of meandered into it. I thought I was going to be a communication expert. Not quite sure what that meant, but started out in a career in real estate and then merged my way into a marketing role that formed really a sales career. So, I think it's going to be a um, uh, very instructive conversation with Paul Walker today. If you're just joining us, you know, this is nearly one year since we've been on the air at uh, iHeartRadio, Great Life, Great Career. A great list of guests. I mean, we've had Dr. Daniel Amen, the famed neuroscientist, brain imaging expert, Gene Chatsky, the personal finance editor of the Today Show, Jillian Michaels, the famed goal achievement exercise expert, Gary Chapman. That discussion on the five love languages was so phenomenal. Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote the seminal book, The Speed of Trust, and, and like literally 45 to 50 other guests. Dip back into the archives. You can find them wherever you actually consume your podcast um, on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. You also can visit franklincovey.com or follow me on my blog or at LinkedIn as well. I've also mentioned each week that I am privileged to be an author for the Franklin Covey Company, authored a book a few months ago called Management Mess to Leadership Success. It is just shy of tipping the scales at 20,000 copies in the first three months, which is thanks to you all, kind of a blockbuster status. I mean, not everybody can write a book about your 30 management messes, but I did. My wife's convinced I'll never work again, so this radio gig has to do something for me because my odds of getting a job are probably pretty slim after confessing all of my management messes. I'm also delighted to announce that the audiobook just released this week is a number one new release on Amazon. And if you feel the need to hear my voice more, by all means, buy the audiobook from Amazon and uh, you can get as much Scott Miller as you possibly need. I've also mentioned that on October 8th, 
Franklin Covey has a new release coming out called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. The six critical practices for leading a team. Our chief people officer, Todd Davis, and Victoria Roos Olson, one of our leadership consultants, joined me in authoring this new book that is a uber-practical handbook for anybody that's in a management or leadership role. Visit Amazon.com and pick up a copy of Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Our guest in a few moments will be Paul Walker, the president of the Franklin Covey Company. You're listening to Scott Miller on Great Life, Great Career. We'll be right back. Build the skills of your organization's global talent pool with a subscription to Franklin Covey's All Access Pass. Through All Access Pass, nine of Franklin Covey's foundational solutions have been translated into 16 languages. Now you'll reach your international teams, streamlining your organization's overall performance improvement initiatives. Visit franklincovey.com to learn more about the All Access Pass and begin engaging your employees, empowering your teams, building your leaders, and most importantly, achieving your results on a global level. Everybody, welcome. Our conversation today is all things sales. I picked the most influential and senior salesperson I know my entire network. The person happens to be right here at the Franklin Covey Company who sponsors this program each week on iHeartRadio. If you miss us live on Saturday mornings here on KNRS, we would love to have you dip into it in podcast format. Follow us, rank us, rate us, review us on all your favorite podcast channels. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, everywhere where you can consume podcasts. Um, we'd love to have you join us. We have about forty-five to 50,000 followers a month now, so our radio program's got great traction on the podcast side. Our guest today is Franklin Covey's president, who reports to the CEO, Paul Walker, to discuss his sales career and some lessons, some successes, probably some messes that he's you know experienced along the way. Paul Walker, welcome to Great Life, Great Career. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be with you today. Great to have you. Paul, as I mentioned in the introduction, I think very few people set out of college or high school and say, you know what, I'm going to go into sales. I'm guessing like you and I, it was a bit serendipitous. We kind of fall into it mostly and decide if it's right for us or wrong for us. Walk us a bit through your own journey of how you started, how you chose a sales position, and kind of maybe some of the milestones that led you up to be what is now the president of the world's most influential leadership development firm globally. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I uh, Growing up, I grew up in a family where my dad was in sales. And actually, I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because of the pressure? Or? Yeah, I just, you know, he, he, he was actually, um, he worked uh, for an insurance company. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, sales, if it's calling individuals and trying to meet with them about spending their own money, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I wanted to do that. And uh, I wound up just kind of... Uh, really just a stroke of great luck in my life personally. I wound up at Franklin Covey in an inside sales role after I graduated from college. Yeah. And I got a whole different level of exposure to what sales really was and what it could be to call on businesses. And when you actually have a product that you could sell that you really have confidence in uh, and, and calling on businesses and trying to help them become better, I, I, I loved it. And, uh, and so that was, a, that was a really, my paradigm changed a lot when I actually got into the field of selling. And so... Uh, Sold for a number of years, uh, had some some relatively good success doing that, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's, it's it's been great for me. You know, Paul, you're a bit younger than I am, I, about about a decade or so. You and I kind of defy the conventional wisdom of millennials and Gen Xers in that you've been in the firm for just shy of twenty years. Is that right? Yeah, it'll be nineteen years. 
this month. Yeah, and you're in your early 40s. That's unusual for someone your age. You know, now it's quite acceptable to have you know, five or six careers by the time you're in your 40s. What is it that was unique to your career where you chose to put down roots in one firm for two decades? Yeah, I, I, uh, I will tell you, there, there's, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it kind of happened, honestly. I, I, I got to a company. I love what we do. I mean, I, I have the privilege of working for Franklin Covey. And, and I wish, you know, everybody out there could work for Franklin Covey. It's just a un- unique mix of really wonderful people doing something that we believe is really important uh, in the way we help organizations and individuals. And, and then these clients, you know, I talked about kind of falling in love with sales. These clients that we sell to at Franklin Covey, they're, they're equally trying to do something important inside their own organization. So you're just in this environment all the time. And I've been fortunate enough to have had some success in different roles that I've been entrusted with in the company. And one thing's kind of led to another, and gosh, it's been 19 years, and I can't think of going anywhere else. Now, we'll see if, if my boss has a different plan for that. I hope not, but uh, I love it here. It's been great. Paul, talk through your first sales experience. Rewind, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago. What are some of the day-to-day realities of being in a sales role that you struggled with, that you thought, gosh, this is going to be really hard. My personality, my aptitude may not be right for this. Were there some relatable experiences you might share that others could find similar kind of, you know, um, empathy in that you had to overcome? Sure. I I gravitated personally more to uh, managing existing relationships. That was comfortable to me. I'm fairly organized. Uh, if there was some existing business there, I could work well with those existing clients and find new avenues to try to grow my business. What didn't come as natural to me early, frankly, still doesn't come as natural, is the the real heavy-duty prospecting that is so important in Some selling. call that farming versus hunting, yeah, right? Yeah, the hunting side farmer. of that. I was a great farmer. Yeah. A great farmer. And but that is that that is important, but it's only part of the equation. And so for me, early on, it was developing some of those hunting skills, and also and and just and and that's that's a part of the job that you can easily find a way to not make time for that. You right. can have your days consumed with farming, but you've got to hunt. That was that was one. Paul, when you look back, and I look back at your career, I noticed there was a transition. I'd say probably maybe 15 years ago, where I saw your own sort of hesitancy about hunting and. And, and moving out into prospecting. And I think like something switched in you where you realized your future as a salesperson, if you were going to have one, was getting out with clients, with non-clients face-to-face. I know you are a passionate, dedicated advocate for the value of being in front of your clients, right? In the time of sales where everything could be done digitally, via text, via email, via phone, via Skype, via Zoom, via go to meeting. You are a really passionate advocate. In fact, you have you put your money where your mouth is and you have some measurements. Talk a bit to your passion experience around the value of being in front of prospective clients and current clients. So Scott, uh, I should probably full disclosure for your audience here. You were you were my boss and I learned a lot of what I've learned about how to sell from you. I became a salesperson really well, for that's the- That's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that could be a different uh, right. radio conversation. You weren't necessarily paying me a compliment, <laughs> did, were you? Did, didn't you write <laughs> management mess? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I woke up two weeks after I'd been promoted into this position and uh, September 11th happened. And of course we're going, you know, we, we just recently- This week's the anniversary. Yeah, right? celebrated that. Not didn't celebrate it, but recognize that right? as an honor that as a- as a key event in our history. And my clients, my new brand new clients in a sales role were happy to talk to me, but were not in a position to do a lot with me. 
And what I what I realized pretty quickly is I was I I had been taught and was thinking about how do I go and educate them on what Franklin Covey has to offer. What I wasn't doing and wasn't very good at was trying to understand what is it that they really need to accomplish right now. What's the job they would hire us to help them with right now in today's environment? You, like most salespeople, were naturally focused on your own needs, yeah. your own goal, your own solution. Yeah. Hadn't made the transition to kind of getting into their world. That's right. And and I realized pretty quickly, and I think you helped me realize, I don't even know that I had enough contextual awareness for what was going on in the world and in business to really understand from their point of view some of the challenges they were facing. And I remember having a conversation with you, and you may not remember this. This was very pivotal for me. You said, you, you need to kind of give yourself a mini MBA here. I, I didn't have an MBA, uh, still don't. And you said, you prescribed for me four or five things I needed to do and things I needed to start to research and to, to do to educate myself on how I could become more aware of what was going on in the world. You know, read the Wall Street Journal every right. day, take Fortune, take Business Week. And what happened is my level of confidence went up and my ability to ask really good questions to my clients from their point of view, you know, to express it in today's example, it would be, you know, what's the, the tensions between the U.S. and China in trade is having an impact. And many of our clients don't want to raise their prices to consumers. What kind of pressure is that putting internally on them and their budgets? Their supply and, chain and, and the cost. Yeah, and, and how could that, we help right? them navigate that change or better execute their strategy so that they're not spending any money they don't have to spend? And, you know, just things like that. And that was a big learning for me was that selling wasn't about learning just about my products and how to position them. Selling really is about getting on the same side of the table as the client and seeing challenges through the same lenses that they're looking at them through and trying to figure out together, how might we solve these? In fact, I interviewed recently Randy Illig, who serves as yeah. Franklin Covey's kind of chief sales thought leader. He writes an article each week in Forbes.com. And Randy talks a lot about how you know a great salesperson when they can not just tell you their sales goal, they can tell you their client's sales goal, right? Like what is the client trying to accomplish? They call it checking your solution. In fact, Paul, you have had a fair amount of sales training across your career. You've been uh, fortunate to have gone through our helping clients succeed. What's the most valuable sales lessons you've learned from going through sales training? What, what, what's kind of pushed your own paradigm and stretched your own skill set? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, be, I think a salesperson, one of their greatest skills and, and assets they can bring to their client is the types of questions they ask and kind of connect to the point I just made a minute ago, we're not asking questions so that we can figure out how to better position our, mm -hmm. our products. That's tempting. That is tempting, right? And that's human nature. But the best salespeople, the people that really become trusted advisors to their clients, they're asking questions so that they can so deeply understand the challenge or the issues or the opportunity that together the, they and the client could co-create the right path forward, a, a solution that would uniquely help that client. And I think, you know, you mentioned helping clients succeed. That I think is what that, that process is best at, is helping transform the way the seller and the buyer interact. And it, and it turns salespeople from the traditional, I'm here to pitch you a product into the, no, I, I really wanna be your trusted advisor. And that may mean actually that you don't buy anything from me because together we decide, I don't have a solution for that. But the bet is that if I have that kind of relationship with you and others, it's going to turn around and pay me back They'll tenfold. They'll come back when it's time. Absolutely. Our guest today is Paul Walker, president of the Franklin Covey Company, just shy of 20 years in the firm. Now leads not just our sales force, but all of our solutions worldwide for the Franklin Covey Company. Pretty much everything except for our work inside of the education division led by his partner and colleague, Sean Covey. 
Paul, rewind the clock a few years and, and share some of your own messes. Anything come to mind that when you were working with a client, you'd overstepped your boundaries, you got in above your head, anything that you would share that would be helpful to people who are perhaps in their own sales career, maybe starting out to say, hey, I did this and this, don't do that, steer clear of it. I got so many, Scott, but one that comes to mind, uh, early in in my career, I'd had... I. I I mentioned earlier, I joined as a salesperson at a time when the economy was not great. And so the first couple of years, pretty much all I did was prospect and trying to look for clients that, that would be in a position to want to do business with me, if not today, sometime in the future. Well, as you can, as you might imagine, that eventually paid off and many of these people became clients and I, I enjoyed some success. I remember one year in particular, I think it was my third year as a salesperson, had some phenomenal success. And if I'm honest, I kind of rested on my laurels a little bit and I dipped back into that farmer role and spent too much time in account management mode. And I stopped doing these, these things that were vital to my business, like prospecting and building new relationships. And I'll tell you, as any salesperson knows, a few months of that goes by and all of a sudden your pipeline's dry, your job satisfaction goes down. It's hard to catch up. Right. You know, Stephen Covey talked in The Seven Habits about this thing called the law of the harvest. Mm-hmm. And sales is very much like that. You know, if a farmer doesn't get the seeds in the ground by a certain time, there cannot be a harvest. There's, a, there's a, just a natural period of time it takes for a seed to turn into something that you can harvest. And you can't shortcut that. And you really can't shortcut it in sales either. And I think that was a, that was a big mess I created. And I remember you had to help me dig out of that one. And it took some time. And I hopefully didn't make that same mistake again. Paul, as the president of our firm, you personally sign off on every one of our new sales hires, right? Because you want to make sure that they're the right match for us and we're the right match for them. I think you've built a great discipline, not micromanagement, but making sure that we're both making the right decision. I recall a few years ago, we had a gentleman who was one of our financial analysts, and he actually was a CPA, and he was making the transition from being a CPA over to being what we call a client partner, right? A salesperson, like you know, a commissioned salesperson. And he came to me for advice, and I said, I, I think you're crazy. I mean, what is your sales experience? And you know, I'm pretty bold. I pushed on him. He said, well, I once you know, shadowed a sales call. I said, so none. I said, this is a horrible decision. This is the wrong career transition. You've paid the price to be a CPA. You're going to chuck it all and become a salesperson? I was totally wrong. The guy has thrived. I'm not going to mention his name, but the guy, I think, has met his goal several years in a row, and his self-confidence is high. I was wrong. What's the profile of person you look for when you're thinking of hiring someone as a salesperson in the organization? Give some advice to people that might be considering a sales role or maybe looking to apply at Franklin Coffee that matter, for that matter. What, what, what are the, what's the profile like? Sure. I would say we have an amazing sales organization. I mean, these, we call them client partners. You said they are, they are fantastic. And we we're growing that organization. So we're doing a lot of hiring right now. And we look for a few things, uh, and our, and our sales may be a bit unique, but we, we're looking for people who you mentioned just a minute ago, first of all, that they have, they have the confidence sales is a, that's a diff, it's a difficult world. There's a lot of rejection you have to deal with. And so somebody who's got that ability to overcome resilience. Yeah. They need, they need to be very resilient. Uh, they high levels of business acumen, that thing, that, that, those skills that you needed to help me with many, many years ago, we, we now expect people come into the firm with those skills. They need to be able to converse with people on a wide variety of business right. topics. Right. You talk about digital transformation and supply chain and, and, and finance and really P&L and understand, you know, lots of different types of industries. We need you to be able to dissect somebody's annual report to understand right. what's going on in that business before you go meet with the client. And so business acumen is important. A given is that you have a proven track record of being able to prospect and open new doors that your 
you're, you're a proactive person who will network and go out and build business. You know, most people that join us are in a very hunter oriented role for some time while they build their book of business. It's so important that they have the high EQ and interpersonal skills to represent our brand effectively and build relationships. Uh, it's also kind of a given that they've had, had sales training in their past. I mean, we're, we're looking for people who have already had a bit of a sales career yeah. and uh, are ready to move, you know, and to take that to the next level. Paul, you and I have talked in the past about how important self-awareness is, right? Being able to take feedback and not be sort of a lone soldier. As we go to break, maybe talk a bit about the importance of not just in sales, but in any role about being able to kind of, you know, step outside of your own skin and look at yourself and how you're perceived. How important is that also as a salesperson? I think it's important in any, any aspect of life and in any professional position, whether you're a salesperson or not, the ability to, to step outside of yourself and just understand if, if you don't, if you don't have that skill, it's hard to address areas where you might have a bit of weakness right. or deficiency and nobody's perfect. We all need to continue to make progress. And it's a lot easier to make progress if we're willing to admit where we have areas that we need to make progress. We're talking today with Paul Walker, the, I guess you'd say, chief sales officer and president of the Franklin Covey Company worldwide. When we go to come back from break, we're going to transition the conversation from Paul's career as a salesperson to his career now as a sales leader. Although he is the president of the firm, everything rolls up to Paul and he, you know, the buck stops with him on delivering the revenue to the board and the CEO and to our shareholders. You're listening to Scott Miller. We'll be right back with Paul Walker. This is Great Life, Great Career. Now back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Our theme today is kind of all things sales-related. You know, our guest today is Paul Walker, the president of the Franklin Covey Company. I also call him the chief sales officer because he owns all the sales globally for our company worldwide. And Paul and I talked off air just a few minutes ago around the transition that it takes to not just move into sales, but move into sales leadership. And it takes a fundamental different skill set. You know, I've mentioned on this program many times that philosophically, I don't believe everybody should be a leader of people, that it takes a whole different set of skills than being, you know, a great individual producer, the best dental hygienist, the best digital designer, the best salesperson. In fact, very rarely, do the best salespeople make the best sales leaders? But I'm not sure I should have been a sales leader. And I think that, you know, retrospectively, I was a pretty good salesperson. Now, of course, the skills have changed that, that I needed to have in that. But I think, Paul, I'd like to hear your perspective on your own transition from, you know, very accomplished sales producer. You were responsible for your own outcomes, no one else's. You were kind of allowed to go on your own path. And then you became the leader, not just of a division, but of a large division, multi-country, and then of a whole organization. What did you struggle with personally, professionally, as you moved from it kind of being all about you and your results to now being about eight people and 10 people and 40 people, and now a thousand people? Yeah, probably similar. Anybody who's moved from an individual contributor role to a leader of people role can probably identify this who's listening here today. For me, a couple of things that were that I immediately experienced as challenges. One was just where do I spend my time? Yeah, you know, just because you move into leadership doesn't mean you still have a long task list and a long project list yourself. And how do I balance the things that I'm responsible to get done, even though I'm now a leader, with the investment of time and making sure my people are going to be successful and that our team is going to win? Of course, it's all about the team when you're a leader, but there there's this 
balancing of, of how to get that done. Prior you, to that, it's just all about you, right? If you, you thought the options it. were large from a salesperson, they exponentiated as a sales leader. They do, right? It's, it's, if you have eight people, it's your goal right. times eight. Right. And uh, so that was one big one. The other one that I, that I, as I've moved up into different levels of, of leadership is, when do I take my hat off that says, I'm interested in what Paul Walker cares about, or I'm interested in what my team of eight thinks about, and I'm kind of their ombudsman, I'm here to represent them. And when do I put on my hat that says, I'm a leader in the larger company? And I, I, I struggle with that early on and trying to balance those two things because they're all important, right? I have, I'm self-interested. I have the things that I, I care about in my family and things that are good for me. And I have things that my team needs. But I also, as a leader, represent this larger global organization. And I have to be able to balance all of this and, and, and hold different perspectives at the same time if I'm truly going to help my organization make the right decisions not just decisions I'd like to see happen personally. Paul, I think the statistics are that most people get promoted into their first leadership role when they're the, at the age of 30, which was kind of about when you and I were promoted, yeah. but don't receive their first leadership training until they're 42. That's a Harvard Business Review statistic. So there's 12 years of kind of wandering in the desert, right? That was my career. Like yeah. literally, I spent 12 years kind of making it up and I worked for a leadership development firm. You know, the the, the adage of a cobbler's kids have no, or cobbler's kids have no shoes. For a while here at Franklin Covey, like most organizations, right, we spent more time focused on our clients than perhaps we did investing in our own people. And I, I don't say that to air our dirty laundry. It's just we're relatable. Sure. I think when you became the president, and I want to honor you here on the radio today, you, you put a pretty big stake in the ground, and you fundamentally made some bets. You started to invest not just mildly, but significantly in the training, a multi-week sales training program so that you could build the business acumen, the maturity, the insight, the relevance of our sales force so our clients could benefit from that. I'm guessing you thought about that for years if you ever had the chance, but once you're faced with it, you've got short-term pressures and long-term pressures. I'm guessing you're seeing the results. Talk about the struggle, the tension you had between making the number on the short term, right, because we're a public company, but building capacity for the long term. I guess there were some sleepless nights. Well, and I'd say we're just getting started. There's a, there's a lot more that we can and will be doing in the future to develop, to develop our people. We're, we're in a, a business, I guess it's probably not that unique, but we're in a business where we're, we are as good and the results we can deliver for our clients are as good as our people. And uh, that's probably true of most of your organizations as well. And I think we had a little, to a certain degree, under invested in yeah. developing our people, whether they were leaders or salespeople or people in different roles. We and were investing significant sums in new product development, world-class solutions, which I think was a good thing for our yeah. clients. Absolutely. But like you said, something gets neglected and perhaps it was the talent yeah. of, our, of our team. Yeah, and so we, we the, our team decided to kind of lock arms and say, this is something we, re we really want to take on. And uh, because we think that while it may not yield a result tomorrow, it will down the road and, and, and all kinds of results, not just results economically for us and growth, but better outcomes for our clients. We, we, a big driver of it was it would really improve our culture, that, that this would become the kind of organization. We've been fortunate to have very little turnover in our organization and we still do today. And I, and I think we'll still have very little turnover tomorrow because this will be the kind of place where people can come and their future or their careers can thrive, they can grow, they can be developed. And so there were a number of reasons why it just, it just makes absolute sense to do it. Paul, speak to the high producing sales leader, no, sorry, sales producer, the individual sales producer listening right now, who's thinking about taking the promotion to lead the team. 
speak to her or him, what types of talents, realities are they going to face that they need to be aware of going in and how is their life going to change? This is a big decision. Uh, You said earlier, and I, I totally agree that because you're the best sales person, sales professional, top producer, top producer does not correlate to you'll be the best sales leader. In fact, it's often inversely correlated. Right. Uh, the, the, the best salespeople tend to be, they're, they're entrepreneurial. They, um, they, they're, they're, they're very, they're focused. They, they know like what, the spotlight. They, like they the, want to win. Right. They like to be recognized, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's a bit of ego in that. There's ego in that. And you like to be completely in control of the outcome yourself and your income and everything. All those things are, are admirable, necessary qualities for a good salesperson. And let's state, there's absolutely nothing wrong with no, that. No. You want as many of those as possible, don't <laughs> you? Bring them on. But the minute you cross over and become the sales leader, yeah. boy, it's never your name on the scoreboard anymore. Right. It's all about your people. It's getting everybody across the line. Uh, you're only going to be as good as your least effective salesperson. And if you're successful, they're all making more money than you are. That's awesome. I mean, that's, think about that, right? If you are a successful sales leader, your team are earning more. They're going to Hawaii. They're perhaps leaving you behind. You yeah. got to take some, some pride in that. Yeah, you, you jump across that line into sales leadership if you really have an ambition to be more of a coach and a cheerleader and, and, and somebody who enables performance and a developer of people and somebody who can clear the path for your sales team. It's, if you want to spend your time doing those types of things, it's a, it's a fantastic promotion and career. It, it's, it's not better than or le- it's just different. Right, right. I think this is so important, Paul, because you know from experience you have promoted some great sales producers because they yearned for a different career as such. They got into a sales leadership role and it wasn't right for them. And now you lost both your sales pipeline, your sales leader pipeline and your top producer. And it's kind of hard to step back into the role, is it not? It takes a really unique person to kind of suck that up. I'm not sure I could do that. Yeah, it's difficult for them. It's difficult for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Make, um, Make a case for, as you move to senior sales leadership, as you kind of moved up the line, what are the types of metrics that you look at to kind of know we're serving our clients' needs, right? That Franklin Covey is winning on all fronts. Talk a bit about from the 20,000-foot now C-suite, what are the types of things that you value as you look at them, lead and lag measures around, we're succeeding because I know this, this, and this is happening. Yeah, the things that we, you know, in, in sales, of course, there's so many things that you can measure. And, uh, you know, the things that we look at, first, we kind of start from the, the end and work back to the beginning. Are, are our clients achieving the outcomes that we kind of mutually promised each other we would deliver when we sat down and kind of co-created the solution together? So we have a number of customer client outcomes that we look at. That's, that's, that really is the most important because if we're achieving those, we're creating loyal customers. Those loyal customers remain your customers. They refer you to other people. They give you feedback, good and bad. And if it's bad, they still stay with you. And so that, that's one. And then you kind of back up from that and you look at the, the productivity of each and every salesperson. And if they're not, boy, if they're not producing where you want, but they're trying hard, you stay with that person forever. And you just keep working with them until they, you can help them get to the skills, that, that display the skills that they need. So the, the sales force productivity. Then you look at some of the leading measures of what's happening with our marketing. Is our marketing throwing off enough leads? Is our sales force adept at taking those leads and, and converting, converting them? them. And right. so there's a, there's a whole chain of activities. I'll tell you, you mentioned the, the 20,000 foot thing, and this just reminded me of something. I think one of the challenges I deal with on a daily basis is we have this strategy, we're trying to execute it, 
And we have to be careful not to go too fast, right? Our salespeople are, incre- there's no busier people on the planet than salespeople. They're, they've got so many balls in the air at one time they're trying to juggle. And if we throw too many new initiatives at them, uh, we can, we can really overwhelm it's them tempting, easily. Is it it is. It is because, tempting. because, you know, think of the, I heard one time I heard this metaphor, you're, you're in an airplane and at 30,000 feet when you're cruising along and you look out the window, it looks like, but I wish things would go, things are so peaceful and slow down there. And if you're the, this, the leader of the organization at 30,000 feet and you've just thrown out your new strategy to the organization, you get on your plane, you're flying along and you're like, why are people not moving faster down there? We just launched this new strategy. It looks so slow and peaceful. They must need more to do. And so I'll throw the next initiative out the window and the next initiative, what you don't realize is that the person tethered to that plane, 30,000 feet below, it's, they're going two miles it's, an hour. <laughs> it is not calm and peaceful for them. Yeah. And so it's tempting to want to do too much at once. And that's not good for the organization. It's not good for the salesperson. And that's maybe something that, we, that, you, that you deal with as you, as you move up the line. Paul, how valuable was your experience as a salespeople, given person, given your, your story just now, how instrumental has that been on you making better decisions at the top, so to speak, as you lived that life? You should probably ask our salespeople uh, <laughs> how well I'm doing with that. But no, I think I have some appreciation for that. I remember that life. I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, the last thing I need is another change in direction. I just kind of got comfortable yeah, with the right. one we just did. I'm just, cause everybody, I'm trying to get better myself. And so I, I, I'm sure I don't do it as well as I could, but, but we try, I try to be conscious and we try to be conscious of that. Paul, how do you know when it's going poorly? Are there some early signs that you have in place when you know a new hire, well-intended, they went through the interview process, you both decided to get married, so to speak, and it's not going well. What, how do you know it? And then what do you do to help either help them or help exit them? Yeah. So I think there's kind of a, uh, two parts of this. One, if it's not going well because uh, culturally they're not a good fit, right. maybe their behavior doesn't line up with the company or values. Or the right culture for them. Or right, right? Com- yeah. Then that's that's probably not going to sort itself out. Right. You try to root it out in the interview. You do, and, yeah. and you don't always get it right. And so right. that's probably a fairly quick exit. And, and that's better for both parties. Right. If it's not going well because somebody is really trying hard, but just it just isn't clicking yet, boy, you get in there and you work with that person and you try to, as long as they're willing to do all the activity possible, then you give a little more time for the results to come. I think on the, pro, on the performance side, you know it's not going well if somebody just really isn't willing to do the activity not, not, not to put in the effort that their goal is going to require of them, right. then, that, then you probably need to move on to. Paul, one of the things I've admired in your legacy is that you know, you're one of those rare leaders that sees the value of people leaving, that you don't shame people when they leave. You actually celebrate their decision to move on, Okay, because I think you believe in this philosophy of send-offs are more about people who are staying than the people who are leaving. And I've seen you send off people with great fanfare and the last words are, we hope to see you back, right? Come back in three or four years and bring your expertise with us. And by the way, refer your friends in. I think it's a great sales methodology that you have instituted in the company. Don't kick them on the way out. Hug them and invite them to come back. Right. Yeah. The, these people that leave, they've given us everything they had while they yeah. were here. They ought to be celebrated. And especially if they're leaving to go do something that's better for them, it's better for their family. Oh, yeah. that's a win-win, right? Yeah, and if right. we've helped develop them along the way, and I'll tell you, many of them do come back or their friends do or their, right. their referrals do. And so, yeah, it's, life's too short to kick somebody on the way out. Paul, as a C-suite leader, what do you struggle with most 
in supporting your, you know, nearly 200 or so sales professionals around the world? What are the things that you're working on to better provide your sales team with? Yeah, I mentioned one earlier is that not to, can't overwhelm them. Can't right. can't have too many initiatives going on, and that's that's resist a, that temptation. It is, and it's a big to challenge. Just deploy all your creativity. It's, right? it's, it's a big challenge. Yeah. We've got more ideas than we have bandwidth and time to execute them, yeah. and they're all good ideas. That's a, that's a big one. Uh, I would say another is just you know, making sure that we're doing right by our people by equipping them with the skills and the tools that they need to be successful, right? It's, it's a, this is a mutually beneficial relationship we have with our people and that they have with us. We're extending a great level of trust to them, but they extend so much trust back to us. I mean, their whole livelihood is in, is in, is in our hands. And so we need to be good partners that way in, 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 the, in the way that we develop them, the way that we, the culture we create here for them, um, the way that we try to help them thrive, the tools that we provide them. And so I, we spend a lot of time on that. How do we enable and clear the path so that they can perform to the very highest levels possible? Paul, most of our clients, and for that matter, prospective clients, know that Franklin Covey has undergone a pretty significant business transformation the last two or three years, big brand transformation, right? We've become, if you will, a software company. Our intellectual property is now in a library, if you will, called the All Access Pass. Will you speak for a moment to how that transition has helped our clients and what have you struggled with along the way to keep pace and even outpace the industry? Yeah, so this happened, this transition began four years ago and it was really the, it was our CEO, Bob Whitman, who had this vision that uh, we have so much to offer, so many solutions and tools and frameworks and, 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 and videos and this great content. And we, our clients typically only benefit from a small portion of that. What if we, what if we just kind of pushed into the middle of the table, everything we have, all of our resources and tools and content intellectual property, and we said, pay us a certain amount per person and you can have all of this. And now we'll run around and get on the same side of the table as you and our whole entire focus will be, how do we help you deploy this in a way that's meaningful? Pick which things and you, what order. Pick and which things and which order and we'll provide you a person who's a specialist on that to help you. And, and that began four years ago and it really came from this vision of, there's a lot more that we have that our clients could take advantage of and the historical way we engaged them didn't allow us to bring all that to bear. So four years later, it's been fantastic. Uh, I, th I think our, I know our clients like it. Um, it's, it's transforming the, our relationship with them and the results they're able to achieve. It's not, it's not been without its challenges. I mean, right. it was a big, big transformation for us, a big transformation for our salespeople uh, to, to go through from the way that we used to sell to the way that we need to sell and engage our clients today. We're talking today with Paul Walker, the president of the Franklin Covey Company. Our theme has been all things sales, sales management, sales leadership, how to be an effective salesperson. Paul, you were kind of professionally raised by Dr. Covey. He passed seven years ago. You spent a lot of time with Dr. Covey with clients and keynote speeches. What's the biggest lesson that you learned from Dr. Covey back when he was alive, you know, leading our company as a co-board member? Any quote or model or insight he learned you that continues to impact the way you think and lead and sell. Yeah. And, and, uh, he's what a man, what a man and what, what a legacy. The first time I went through seven habits, I thought the most powerful habit was habit five seeking first to understand the 10th time I went through. And as I think about my own life now, it's habit one, okay. it's the ability to be proactive all day long. I get bombarded with stimulus, things that, that are, that I may not have a lot of control over, but what I do have complete control over is how I respond and how I react as a dad, as a husband, as an employee, as a friend, as a boss, as a coworker. 
and the days that I am give, would give myself an A on my ability to be proactive are the best days I have. And when I'm not quite there, those are my worst days. But you say it because everyone's looking at you, right? Everyone's watching you as the president of the firm and as you co-lead the company, you're I don't know if you would call yourself a naturally patient person or not. I think you're sufficiently patient, but I do think you choose every day. It's not like to. every hour, every, every, every interaction. Yeah. How am I going to respond to this? Because that's going to really drive the culture of the organization. You're, you're, you're choosing to set that culture from the top. Thank you. Yeah. Nicely done. Paul Walker, thank you for joining. Great life, great career. Look forward to having you back sometime in the future. Thanks, Scott. And congrats on your management mess book and the upcoming Everybody Deserves a Great Manager. Thanks so much. We're very looking forward to those two books. You're listening to Great Life, Great Career. I'm your host, Scott Miller, sponsored by the Franklin Covey Company. We'll be right back to announce our next guest. Have a corporate event or executive retreat on your calendar? Check out Franklin Covey Speakers Bureau to browse for and schedule your next keynote speaker. Inside Franklin Covey Speakers Bureau, you can book best-selling authors and thought leaders with insight and expertise on topics that address your most critical business needs. From leadership to strategy execution to building a high culture of trust, Franklin Covey's keynote speakers bring an engaging and relevant message to any team or corporate event. You can schedule a Franklin Covey keynote speaker for as little as $6,000, and they'll work closely with your team to tailor a message that fits with your organization's most pressing needs. Visit franklincovey.com slash speakersbureau today to view a complete list of available speakers and fill your event with the message and motivation that will drive lasting results in your organization. The Franklin Covey Speakers Bureau, the hallmark of thought leadership. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Our guest today was Paul Walker, the president of the Franklin Covey Company, a guy who spent the better part of his entire career in one form or another in a formal sales role. Started out as a frontline salesperson for the Franklin Covey Solution, became a team leader, sales leader, sales vice president, EVP, and now is ascended up to become the president of our firm worldwide. Shared some great examples of things that he had to do to transition from being a salesperson to a sales leader. I think one of the things I took away from today's conversation with Paul was this idea about the paradigm shift, right? Your mindset shift. Because you are the best at what you do in your role does not mean you are equipped to be the leader of the team. In fact, I think you all should be very cautious about that call to leadership. It's not for everyone. Just like everybody shouldn't be an anesthesiologist, right? Or um, a landscaper or a dental hygienist or an airline pilot. There is no shame and not being a leader of people, or for that matter, becoming a sales leader. So think very carefully. You know, what are your goals? What are your motivations? What is your legacy? You know, your life is your, your, your job is your career. Your job is not your life. And you want to be very deliberate around ensuring that you're living a balanced life, that you're taking on, on roles and goals that really bring out your passions and your talents, and be very cautious about that move into leadership. For that matter, for those of you who are salespeople, into sales leadership because it's a, it's a fundamental shift. And as Paul said, the skills that work for you in your daily role are rarely, if ever, those that work for you in a leadership role. Our guest next week on Great Life, Great Career will be Deborah Lund, recognized as one of the top female PR professionals in the U.S. in 2019. Deborah Lund has served as Franklin Covey's Director of Public Relations for nearly 30 years, was Dr. Covey's original publicist and agent, 
worked by his side for, gosh, just over two decades prior to his death. Deborah's going to talk to us around all things related to reputation, reputation management. How do you build a brand? How do you work with the press? How do you diffuse issues where people have part of the facts, but not all the facts? How do you make sure that every organization's most precious asset, which is their reputation, is managed authentically and ethically and shepherded through the kind of wild west that is the media now with new forms of media on social platforms, podcasts, vlogs, blogs, you name it. The days of, you know, having a reporter show up and do an interview with your CEO are kind of over, right? It's a different medium now. Deborah is going to bring us into the 21st century on how all organizations can maximize their relationships with the multiple press platforms and get your message out while still growing your business, serving your clients, building a brand, and perhaps most importantly, ensuring that your reputation never takes a hit like ours hasn't in our nearly 40 years in business. You've been listening to Great Life, Great Career. I'm your host, Scott Miller. We'll see you next week.